going through the wonderful story of Jonah and what Jonah did and didn't do. And uh, we're trying to look at it through the lens of history and what was actually happening in that time and then bring that history into our life because I believe when God says something to us or he shares something with us, it's also for us to look at and to draw some lines into our own actions, our own heart, and see what we can learn from the mistakes of Jonah. So Jonah, uh, when was this made? Who, what type, and what purpose? Let's pop that slide, Aiden, okay? This is what we do know about Jonah. It was written somewhere between 785 and 760. You have to remember, uh, time is kind of going backwards at this point. It's getting lower. Uh, B.C. stands before Christ. And then uh, who was it for? It's for the nation of Israel. Those are God's people. But it's also for God's people everywhere. And what you see in the book of Jonah is you see over and over again that mercy and long-suffering is what God identifies with. This is, he says, I am this. I am merciful. I am grace-filled. I am long-suffering. And before I really read through all of the Old Testament as a whole, I used to have this idea that God was incredibly unfair. Like, why did he just choose this small tribe of people and say, these are my people, and everyone else can go to heck? Because that's kind of what it felt like when I would hear Old Testament stories. You hear about judgment. You hear about uh, cities being destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah. You hear about all of these things happening to these other nations, and then God preserves his people. But if you look through the Old Testament, what you'll see is he spanks his old people, his own people a lot. Like, he kind of whacks them. He says, you're supposed to be following me. You're not. You're supposed to be an example for the nations. You're not. I'm supposed to be your father. You're not acting like I'm your father. And then he also says, I will give grace to whomever I want. And he says, I'm long-suffering. And then there's several different verses where he says, if people pray and repent, I will save anyone. All people can come into repentance. And even within the Jewish people, they had a way of taking people in. And if they would follow the mandates of God, follow the Ten Commandments, if the, the males would get circumcised, they'd put some skin on the line. If they did that, then here's what would happen they would be considered part of the tribe of Israel. They were Jewish. So they'd be welcomed in, and they would be under the same law, the same rule, and the same blessings that the other people did. So what's the purpose? It's to show that the message of salvation is for who? Everyone. Everyone. So God is in the mode of opening up salvation to everyone. What about people that are really bad sinners? They part, they're part of everyone, right? What about the Ninevites who would murder people and torture them for fun and try to impose their will upon people through massacres and all these things? Salvation was for them as well, as long as they repented and turned from their ways. So the type of literature this is is mostly ironic satire. In the middle of it, in, in chapter 2, we went through the prayer. It's almost poetry at that point. But it's ironic satire, so you can almost imagine like this just extreme play that is playing out in real life. Like Jonah's a bad guy, but he's supposed to be the good guy. And all these twists and turns are happening. And throughout all of this, God's main message he is trying to get across is that no one is beyond redemption. That's the primary one. Secondary, sometimes God's own kids are the worst. You with me? Some of y'all... It's a miracle you're in church right now because you've run into some people in the church that were not nice, that were not godly in their actions. How many of you have been hurt by somebody in the church before? I have. I've been hurt by actions and deeds and things like that. Jonah was the type of guy who wasn't always doing what God wanted him to do, even though he was called to be a prophet of God. But God didn't give up on him either. How many of you are glad that God doesn't give up on mean church folk? <laughs> that, hey, we are sometimes judgmental, we are in the wrong, and God will still chase us down, create a fish to swallow us up, and get his will accomplished, with or without us. 
That's the reason why churches are still around today. It's not because all the people in the church were amazing. It's because God is amazing. It's because God's work will be fulfilled. His body will go out. He'll continue through his spirit. He will get things done. And so we get to be a part of that. So we see that no one is beyond redemption, that God is, is looking for everyone. And then in the previous chapters that we looked at, we see that even the pagans on the ship come to Christ. Well, not Christ, but they come to God, you know. And they come to God the Father, and they pray to him, and they're converted. Even when Jonah is thrown into the water, things are changing for the better. So no one is beyond redemption, and sometimes the people that we think are really far from God are very, very close to following him. And we don't get to determine who that is or, or what they're going to do. So in the last chapter, uh, verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. We go to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, and he said, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So at this point, Jonah smells like fish. He himself is fish puke, and he just splats up on the beach. And God's response in that moment is, okay, get up. He doesn't even say wash off, right? I like that. He says, just go. I don't go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. I need you to show up and do what you were supposed to do. How many of you have disobeyed the will, the purpose, the desire, the scripture of God? How many of you have experienced pain because of that? I'm not just saying like God decided to judge you and smite you on your head. No, but like there are consequences sometimes to our natural sins, and then we experience those, and it's not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So here's what's happening to Jonah. He's going through that, and he prays this prayer, and the, the fish spits him out, and God gives him a second chance. How many of you are grateful for second chances? I think if all of us walked around with the smell of our first chance, we wouldn't be able to sit in the same room together. You with me? I mean, if we all smelled like our mess-ups, it would, it would be worse than a nursery without any attendance. It would be worse than, you know, before there were disposable diapers. It would be bad because here's Jonah smelling like the inside of his sin, smelling like the fish, and God says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. You may feel like your time has passed. You may feel like your previous sin and disobedience has erased the call that God has on your life. You may feel discouraged and feel like I can repent, I can be forgiven, but I'll never get back to where I was supposed to be. Jonah is proof that that isn't true. Jonah is proof that God is a God of second chances and thirds and fourths and 3,706. And I am here because of that. Like, I have messed up. I have continued to do things I'm not supposed to do. And yet God gives me what? Another chance. Another chance. So you may feel disqualified. You may feel like the game is over. But I guarantee you, if God desires for you to do something... He will use you in order to accomplish that. What we have to do is stop listening to the voice of discouragement and the voice of Satan, which is continually telling you where you messed up, continually telling you what you did wrong and what you should have done, and move forward. Instead of looking backwards all the time, we got to keep our eyes forward on Christ. And when we do that, we see what he's up to, and we realize that not only is Jesus up to something, he's doing this with us. He's saying, come and be a part of this. Come and be a part of what I'm already doing. And, and when we do that, then we're working with Christ. And we're walking with him. To walk with Christ means to work with him. You look at the disciples. What did Jesus do with the disciples eventually? He sent them out in pairs. 
He didn't just say, hey, learn, sit here and learn, and, and, and fill out all these, these forms, and, and, and once you get your education right, then you'll go do some ministry. No, he said, ministry is the education. Start doing the work now. And he accomplished things through that. So that's what we're called to do, right? We're called to follow Jesus in the ministry and in the mission that he's calling us to. So if God says, hey, wipe the puke off of you and get back to work, what are we supposed to do? Wipe the puke off of us and get back to work. Here's what we sometimes do instead, though. Oh, I messed up. Oh, God could never use someone like me. I failed. How many of you have that voice? Sometimes in your head. You got you to gotta delete that. You got to get rid of that and say, that is not of God. That is the enemy speaking. Jesus says that I have life and life abundant. When Jonah was in the belly of the whale, it signified death. When he came out, it signified rebirth because God is a God of second chances. And he takes those people that are spiritually dead and brings them back to life through the power of Jesus Christ. So get up. <laughs> Everyone say get up. And what? And go. <laughs> How many of you have to say that to your kids? Get up and go. This is what God's saying to his children too, folks. Get up and go. So where he has a very specific place he's supposed to go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Verse 3. So what does Jonah do? This time. Everyone say this time. That means, that means there was another time, right? This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Okay, you gotta you gotta imagine. Like we we kind of have an idea of what big cities are, but if you think of Nineveh, Nineveh is the cultural center of the world at this point. Okay, Nineveh is New York City. It has everything, everything, good and bad. It has all of these. It has temples. It has kingdoms. It has walls. It's enormous. It's enormous. And Jonah is called to go there. The reason he didn't want to go there isn't because he was afraid they would kill him. He wasn't afraid of death. He was afraid that they would repent. That's why he ends up in the fish. So on that day, Jonah entered the city. And he, this is some boldness. He shouted to the crowds. Says it went th three days to get around. Shouts to the crowds, 40 days from now, you'll be destroyed. God's going to wipe you out. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. I think maybe Jonah took a little bit of pleasure in this. Because he had just gotten out of the whale. He's upset. Everything's still not going his way. He's like, fine, I'll, I'll do what you say, God. I'm going to go tell him what you told me to tell him. But I'm going to tell him angry. And he's saying, you're all... You're going to be destroyed. Here's why. Because you sinned against God. You've hurt others. You abuse the poor. You are murdering torturous people. You are bad. God's going to wipe you out. So this is the message that he's, he's meant to bring. He didn't need any fancy screens, microphones, or anything else. He just walked around screaming this. And you think, well, why wasn't he just, like, picked up and killed? Like, why didn't people just get upset and, and do this? There's some historical evidence that looks like there could have been an eclipse right around the time that this happened. So maybe just a little bit before Jonah arrives, the sun goes black. That's a scary thing, right? It's a scary thing if you don't have a calendar and news people telling you that this is going to happen. They're like, whoa, the end of the earth is coming. So God may have used that as timing to get and prepare their hearts and get them ready to receive this message. You also have to remember who their gods are. Let's look at a few of the pictures that we have that show us who these types of people are. The first one I have here is uh, the inside of their temple. This is very interesting. They would have these massive temples, and they had some huge ones. All right? And they would worship inside of these, and they worshiped one god primarily called Ashur. Asher. And Asher 
is an interesting God because all these gods have different roles, different ideas of, of what kind of powers they have and, and what they do. Asher is a god of war and hunting. Okay? He carries a bow and arrows. And then he also, behind him, has the power of what? The sun. So he is like a sun god who is mighty in war and hunting. And so this is how Nineveh grew their wealth. How did they grow their wealth? They would go and steal it from everyone else. It's a quick way to grow wealth, especially if you, if you have your own professional army. And remember, Nineveh, first first area to actually have a professional army, meaning that they could do what? They could go to war 24-7. They could steal everybody's stuff. They could do all of this all the time, and they would have farmers back at home doing their farmer thing, so they'd have food. But then they go around and have professional armies getting and hiring people from other surrounding nations. So they have the best of the best. In fact, there's some evidence that Nimrod, or the people of Nimrod, were the ones that established Nineveh. And Nimrod, in the Old Testament, is the most mighty warrior there is. So these are an angry bunch of people who are really big, really strong, and really violent. And they build a very big city. Okay, let's look at the next picture. That looks like a great vacation spot. <laughs> I, I'd like to go there right now. It looks like they do not have snow. But this is an artist's rendering of what they think it looked like uh, based upon some of the remains that they found of the city. You can see a, a temple up here and then another temple over here and uh, commerce moving in and out. It was based along a river. It had a lot of affluence. All right, next. There we go. There's another picture. I mean, we're talking about some immense structures. Can you imagine in the ancient times, this is before skyscrapers, folks. There's no elevators or anything else. If you build something like this, you've got to walk up all those stairs with the blocks to build it. And so can you imagine going somewhere where the biggest place you've ever seen has four or 500 people, maybe a couple thousand, and then you walk to this city to do trade or something, and you see this standing in front of you. That's impressive. That's impressive. All right, next. This is the inner wall. Uh, it's 100 foot high and three chariots wide. So well, how wide is a chariot? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's roughly uh, a little bit bigger than the size of a train, but they were able to run three chariots at the same time around the city on top of the wall. Can you imagine? What are they doing on there? They got chariot riders protecting the city, making sure it's safe with their bow and arrows. So you do not want to attack this city because you're going to die, and it's not going to be fun. So they had immense wealth, immense power, and immense strength. Interestingly enough, 1846, before that, people would read Nineveh, and anybody with an intellectual mind would think, this is all made up. This city never existed. We cannot find it where it's supposed to be. Austin Lanyard goes out on a survey and starts digging in the area that it's supposed to be. And he was a guy that was more like shovel than scholar, okay? So he, his idea of how to find archaeology was more like Indiana Jones. Let's do it as fast as we can. We'll blow up stuff, and we'll figure it out. That's what he's doing. And he starts digging down in this area, and he starts to uncover these towers and these buildings underneath the layers and layers of dirt. And wouldn't you know it, the Bible was right. After all of that, in fact, they found a black obelisk. Maybe this is one of the first photos in there, Aiden. And uh, Austin is, is credited with finding this. And in this block contains a lot of the history. So uh, this is called a tablet. You don't have to plug it in. But you do have to unbury it every couple thousand years as the dust gets on it, okay? So they, they dug it out, and they found a mention of the Israelites paying tribute to the Ninevites before the story of Jonah. So these cultures were together. They knew each other. 
And so this story that everyone thought was all fake, Nineveh was never destroyed later on. We see uh, in, in Micah that Nineveh is destroyed. They didn't think any of that existed. None of this is real. But wouldn't you know it, it was just under the dirt. And they, they find all this information, and they start piecing this together. So when Jonah goes there, he's going to the biggest city you can imagine. He's going to New York City. And he has to go walk around and yell at them, God's going to destroy you all, you horrible, horrible people. And he does that. He walks around the city. Uh, the walls of the city that we showed you before would be eight miles in circumference on the inside. And then there's and, at least 175,000 people within the, the providence. And so you've got to consider, too, there's villages outside villages outside of the city, right? So it's 30 to 60 miles, this district this whole area. And he preaches, and eventually it comes to everybody. So on that day, Jonah entered the city. He shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days. The mighty kingdom was going to be wiped out. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are people just going to say, you stink, get out of here, you smell like fish, no one's going to listen to you. No. Verse 5. The people in Nineveh, they did what? What does that say? They believe God's message. Folks, if we could get that far, we'd be doing good. You with me? If we believed God's message, we'd be doing pretty good because here's what happens. The people of Nineveh believe God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. That means they didn't have any chili Super Bowl Sunday. They had no food. They, they, they stopped eating. They said, we're done eating. And they put on burlap. So imagine potato bags, coffee bags. They're, they're wearing the, the worst clothing they can find. It is not form-fitting. It does not make them look attractive. They take off all their jewelry. They, they stop washing their face. They probably stop brushing their teeth to show their what? Sorrow. What does this do? It puts you in a place of humility. It puts you in a place of humility. If you have to put on your very worst work clothes and appear somewhere that's important, you feel humbled. And what they're trying to do is show an outward expression of what's happening within their hearts. So they're doing this. They're, they're responding to the message of God. And when the king of Nineveh, verse 6, when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped what? Down from his throne. Well, why is that significant? He's doing what? He's placing himself in a place of humility. He's taking off his kingly robes. And he dressed himself again in what? Burlap and sat on the weirdest chair ever. A heap of ashes. Why, why do they do this? Well, culturally, this is to show that they're in mourning. This is to show that they're being humbled. This is to show that they realize their sin and they're in sorrow. So this is what the king himself does. Instead of, of coming at Jonah, he humbles himself. He listens to the, the word of God and he gets down. And then he does this. Verse 7, then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one... Not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. Can you imagine telling your kids this? Like, I have kids that think that they need a snack five minutes after they eat their dinner. It's like, I'm hungry. Well, yeah, you didn't eat enough dinner. But here's, here's what they're to do. Even the kids, listen to this. No one, no one is to eat or drink anything at all people and animals alike I, I don't get this like animals were wearing garments of mourning I'm guessing they just threw ashes at the animals people and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God so what are they doing they're praying to whom are they praying to Asher Ooh, no who are they praying to praying to Jehovah. They're praying to Jonah's God, aren't they? The God of the Israelites. 
You imagine the humility that must have taken because the God of the Israelites is a God of sheep herders. Your God goes out and murders everyone and gets all their gold. That sounds way more fun than following around some God in the desert. They realize that this is real, and they start praying earnestly to God, and then, and then they must, this is also what he said, they must turn from their evil ways and what? Stop all their violence. Realize Jonah isn't the one saying this. It's who? It's the king. It's the ungodly leadership is becoming what? Godly leadership. He's adjusting their minds. He said they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Verse 9 says this, who can tell? This is what the king says. Who can tell? How, how do we know? How do we know? Perhaps even yet, God will change his what? His mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. So the people go into mourning. They put on bad clothing. They take off all their earrings. They don't put on makeup. They may not be showering anymore. They're fasting. They're sitting on ashes, and they're making the animals not eat and drink alike. So no one is doing anything. Everything stops. Everything's put on halt, and everything is over. The king's, the king's, in the king's mind, we're going to die if we don't do this. We're going to be done. And if that's true, then we need to just stop living life right now and figure this out because if we ignore this, we're going to die. And so that's what they do. They stop in the possibility that God will save them. People and animals alike, the king was putting it all on pause. So who is God's message for? It's even for animals apparently, right? It's even for the youngsters. It's even for everyone. It's for everyone. Matthew 12, 39 through 41. This is where Jesus was talking to uh, the religious leaders at the time. He says this, Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. What does it say next? For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh, this is, this is something, the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation, against you, he's saying to these religious leaders, on judgment day, and condemn it, for they repented of their what? At the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. You refuse to repent. So we, we don't, maybe we don't talk enough about this in church. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Maybe we don't talk enough about sins and the problem that we have with sin, because if we don't repent, then who's going to judge us? The Ninevites, these murderous people that changed their hearts because God changed their hearts, could judge you and I if we don't repent, if we don't come to salvation through Jesus. So we have to realize that this is a serious thing, and maybe sometimes the message we need to hear is the message of Jonah. Forty days from now, you will be destroyed. If we knew that there was a timeline for our life, I think we would all make sure that we got right with God before we were near that date. This morning, I uh, got a text from my mother saying that my uncle was uh, rushed to the hospital, and they were trying to resuscitate him, and then later on, she told me that he passed away. And he had been battling health issues uh, for, for quite a while. And uh, he's not here anymore. He didn't know the day before that today he would not be here. I didn't know that. None of us know when we're going to go or why. And it's a little bit presumptuous of us to think that we have all the time in the world to make it right with God. Because we don't. We have whatever time we have. And God is long-suffering. He's going to give you time. But eventually that time will run out. 
And the only thing that will matter in that moment is whether or not you've repented of your sins and you've received Jesus as your Savior for salvation. That's the only thing that's going to matter for all of eternity is whether or not you did that. Now, there's other things that matter. What we do for Christ matters and everything after that. But honestly, why do we have to wait until we're on our deathbed to come to Christ when we can start living for the king now? You are part of a kingdom if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've been given a second chance over and over again. You've been given this second chance. You've been called into that, and you've been called to be like Jonah, going to the people and asking them to repent. Now, sometimes we don't have the same message. We don't stand in the center of Arcadia and say, in 40 days, this city will be leveled. I haven't seen anyone do that with great success. But we are called to speak truth into people's lives and call things for what they are. Amen? We're called to speak truth and we're called to speak love and we're called to share the message of Jesus Christ with others so that they can be saved. See, it's not the hearing of the word of God. You may think that if you come to church, you'll be saved. But it's not you listening to scripture. It's not you reading scripture. It's not you hearing some pitiful pastor preach that does anything for you. It will do nothing for you. If Jonah went through the city and said, hey, you'll all be destroyed in in 40 days, and they said, all right, let's party these last 40, they'd be partying when the fire of heaven came down and destroyed them. They would have believed the word of God, but you notice they didn't do anything about it. So it's one thing to believe, and Scripture says that even the demons believe in God and tremble in His presence, but they're not changing their behavior or their attitude. And sometimes we're the same way. We know the truth, but we don't want to change for it. So you're always faced with this option that you have, just like the people in Nineveh had. You can go on living the way you want to live and do whatever you want. That is your full right. That's your prerogative. But eventually you will be destroyed. Your mortal body is going to die. One day it will stop. You'll stop breathing. Your heart will stop. And then you're, you're going to go somewhere. Where are you going? You going to heaven or are you going to hell? It all hinges on whether or not we repent of our sins. That's how we get there. So Jonah preaches this very simple message. He preaches it several times. It seems that he's wandering around. He's sharing this. Eventually the king hears it. The king responds. And you see that stuff starts to change because they're listening. See, a lot of us have heard the word of God. We've heard what we're supposed to do. But if we're not walking in the obedience, it does nothing for us. In fact, it leads to more judgment because we knew better and we didn't respond. It's kind of like, how, how many of you have had to tell your kid, something's hot, don't touch it? And how many of those brilliant young children thought, I want to touch it even more now? And what do they do? <laughs> Some of their little brains are not that quick sometimes. Well, yeah. Warned you. Did they have the necessary information to save themselves from destruction? To save their little pinky? Yes. Did they act on it? Not the right way. <laughs> kind of like, you know, you put a sign up near a button saying, do not press this button. I guarantee you, it'll be mostly dumb adults going up and pressing the button to see what happens. You'd be a nuclear plant and they're pressing that button. I could push that button. (laughs) This is why they have like cases over fire alarms everywhere. Because the very thing that's supposed to save you, we're like, hey, this would be fun. This is what we do. We do dumb things all the time. And and here's what's happening. We have to sit here. We listen to this message from God saying, repent of your sins and be saved. You have to stop doing this and start doing this. And we think, "Mm, 
maybe later. Not right now, Jesus. I kind of like the way things are going. I mean, I'm miserable. I'm not having any fun. I'm really miserable, but I do like the sin. The sin is fun. And so scripture says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but it brings destruction and death. When we follow the life of sin, we are going down the path of death, and you will be alive, but you will feel like you're dead. Your soul will feel dead. Your mind will feel dead. You may even be dead to hearing the voice of God because you're choosing sin over the path that God has for you. Sin. The explanation for sin it means missing the mark. So sin itself is a term of archery. And if you miss the target, if you don't hit the target, if you're not on the bullseye, it means sin. It's a miss. Well, who determines what the target is? God determines the target. We don't. So God says, here's the target. Shoot at this and be perfect. Never miss. Never mess up. Every one of your arrows has to stick right in the center, and you have to do like that Robin Hood thing where you split arrows. None of us can do that. That's why Jesus is here, so that we can repent and be saved, so that we can receive forgiveness for our sins, so that we can stop what we're supposed to do, uh, stop what we're doing in the flesh and in the sin nature, and choose God's will and listen to his word. So telling your kid that it's hot and them touching it, eventually they learn that it's hot and they don't touch it anymore. So hopefully God gives us some of those lessons too, huh? Hopefully God does that, but he also presents us with opportunities. You being here right now, in some ways, is good and bad because you're hearing about this, but you're forced to make a decision about it. You now have to decide whether or not you want to be destroyed. And it may not be 40 days from now, maybe 40 years from now. But either way, the same thing is coming for all of us. We have to be prepared and we have to be ready. So they did this on the whim. Perhaps God will change his mind and spare us. We already know God will spare us. God will spare us if we come to him in repentance and receive salvation. He will spare us. Jonah 3.10 says this. When God saw what they had done, here's God's response. When he saw what they'd done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. So not only did they put on these clothing and everything, they stopped what they did. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. He changed his mind. So what does it mean that God changes his mind? Does it mean that he was wrong? I think it's more a figure of speech. It, it says in, throughout Scripture that God knows. In fact, look, let's look at Jeremiah 18. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. If I announce, this is God speaking, if I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed... But then that nation, what, renounces its evil ways, so they repent. I will not destroy it as I had planned. And if I announce that I will plant and build up a certain nation or kingdom, but then that nation turns to evil and refuses to obey me, I'll not bless it as I said I would. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do, this is such a great line from God, I do whatever I want. <laughs> I do whatever I what? Wish. So here's, here's the deal. Even us as a nation, we may have had some measure of blessing, but can we lose that blessing? Oh, yeah. Even you as children of God following his path, you may have some measure of blessing. Can you lose that blessing? Yeah. Well, How? Because you chose not to have it anymore. You turned your back on the blessing of God and chose the ways of the world and chose a sinful path instead of obedience. You've heard the word of God, but yet you choose not to obey it. And you say, I'm just fine. You're not fine. You're struggling. And you're not blessed because here's what God says. I will bless whoever I want to bless. And I will hold on to those who are doing what they're called to do. But others are walking in the path of destruction. So God is fully sovereign in this. And when he says throughout the Old Testament, he changed his mind. What he's saying is that he didn't follow through on that negative aspect because he realized that the goal was accomplished. 
How many of you have promised something for your kids and said, uh-uh, the next day because of their behavior? Here's the consequence. That ain't happening no more. You're not going to the sleepover. You're not having the party. You're not going. You're grounded, my friend, for a long time. Did you change your mind? Yes. Did your intentions ever change? No. Your intention is to raise a responsible human being who takes responsibility for their own behavior and follows God. So your desires haven't changed. God's desire is the same thing. He wants you to follow him. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here we go. The second time, the pagans become the heroes, and Jonah uh, is, is doing what he's called to do. And Isaiah 46.10 says this, Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. Here's the main point I want you to, to realize here, that God is calling all to repentance. God is calling all to salvation. He wants us all to repent and receive salvation. Because here's what happens. Humility comes in the presence of a holy God. And when we realize our transgressions, what we've done wrong, and what God wants us to do to turn from our ways and follow him, we will have humility because God provides mercy and grace. So the bad news is all of us are in the camp of the Ninevites before receiving salvation. The good news is all of us have the message of Jesus Christ that is greater than the message of Jonah that says, you are heading for destruction. Stop and turn around. How many of you have heard of lemmings before or played games where like all the creatures jump off the cliff? When we were in Maui, um, I don't think lemmings would exist in Maui because there's giant cliffs that fall into the ocean. They had these cow fields. And when we think of cow fields in Indiana, we think of fields that are kind of boxed up with fences and everything. In Maui, they, ha they had cows just wandering on cliff sides. And you're like, 300-foot <laughs> drop. There's a cow 10 feet away from it. And I'm sitting there going, cows must be a little bit smarter than I think because I don't see a whole lot of beef on the ground. But, but you sit there and you think about that. Like We are, in reality, in our life, walking around in the midst of possible destruction. Our death is, is, is like a cliff. It's, it's around us. We have to be prepared because we don't know when it's going to come. We have to make sure that what we've done is what we're supposed to do, that we're following Jesus and that we've repented our, our sins and we're living for him. Because the message of salvation is for everyone. We don't know when God is going to return or we're going to go to him. And we're all going to go to him, but then we're all going to face judgment. The only thing that will matter when we're facing that judgment is whether or not we've received Christ as our Savior. That's your choice. All we can do is share the message with you. Repent. What does repentance mean? It means to turn away from the way you're living now and to follow Jesus. Let's pray. What a repentant child. Oh, Lord, I realize that all of us have messed up We've all done things that are wrong. We've all fallen short of what we're supposed to do. We've all missed that target we're shooting at, and we've sinned. We've hurt others. We've said things that we shouldn't have said. We've thought things that we shouldn't have thought. We've done things we wish we hadn't done. So right now, in Jesus' name, we ask for your forgiveness. We confess our sins. And we ask for you to restore us. Help us not to go back to them, but help us to follow you. To not go on sinning, but instead live like Jesus did. Lord, I thank you that uh, your repentance that you grant us, your forgiveness that you give us, gives us the power over sin and death. And no longer are we slaves to it. Instead, we are slaves to life. Jesus, help us to follow that. Lift us up when we fall down and set us on the path that you have for us. Lord, I pray for anyone that hasn't themselves prayed that prayer, saying, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you rose again. 
I pray that they would pray that right now. That they would repent of anything that they've done wrong. And they would receive your grace and mercy. We thank you that you offer it to us just like you offered it to the Ninevites. That you give us the availability of that. Because salvation is for everyone. We graciously, humbly, in humility accept what you've given us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we can all stand up. Um, we're going to close with a song that we introduced uh, maybe about a month ago called Jericho. Um, some of you may be familiar with the story of Joshua in the Old Testament. He was the commander of the Israelite army, and he was commanded to march around this evil city seven times, and he, they, he had to lead all of, all of the Israelites and, um, and that God would knock down the walls and give them back their land. Um, so sometimes we build up those walls in our hearts, don't we? And God wants to knock down those walls. And just like it was in the Old Testament during this time, it wasn't the actual marching that, that destroyed those walls. It was obedience. And just like what we've been talking about, that forgiveness, God has given us that forgiveness, and it's up for us to ask for it and then to receive it. And once you receive it, God wants to come into your heart. So as we sing this song, you may not know it, just listen to the words, talk to God, and the chorus is, all of my fears like Jericho walls, gotta come down, gotta come down. God doesn't want you to be scared. He wants you to accept his forgiveness and he will destroy that fear and that doubt and that love will just move in.
So <laughs> there's two ways to look at that message. Either we could be staying in fear or we could be rejoicing in the freedom that God has given us. So the good news is we don't have to stay in fear. Amen. The good news is God paid for your sins already. You just got to receive that gift. And when you receive that gift, you're not trapped in that old life anymore. You're like Jonah kissing the beach. Because I think that's what I would be doing. I'd be like, thank you, Lord. I'm out of that fish. Thank you, Jesus. So here's what he's done for you. He's established you as sons and daughters in his kingdom. He's given you freedom. He's given you the power over sin and death. And now we know that when we're believing in Jesus and when we follow him, that we have in an eternity to live with and for him. We have heaven awaiting us. It's better than all the chilies we have over there waiting right now. I think they're going to have chili in heaven. It's probably going to be pretty good. All right, I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. Bless the meal and uh, bless your day ahead. Lord, I thank you right now for everyone that's in this room and everyone that's represented by connections in this room. Thousands and thousands of people that aren't here right now. Some of them that need to know you. I pray in Jesus' name that each of us would be Jonah the way we need to be Jonah in our workplaces, in our community, in our schools, in our families, that we would be people of faith who point the way out of destruction and into God's glorious life. Lord, I thank you right now that you've called us and that you've set us apart for your purpose. That we are able to communicate with you and that we're able to repent whenever we like. I ask for your grace on us once more and your forgiveness to show through us. I ask for your Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and our minds in such strength that we cannot ignore it and that we hear it very clearly. God, I thank you for the time that we have together this morning the time of fellowship that we're about to partake in. I thank you for all the food over there and everyone that made it in here. Lord, I pray blessings over them and that you would reward them, even if they don't win first place, <laughs> that you would reward them for serving others. We realize that this food is a very important ministry of the church, and we thank you for it. God bless our day and our evening. Help us to focus on your truth and your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Yes, Greg. Okay, no middle school youth tonight. All right. You're all invited to have chili with us over in the fellowship hall, south side of the building. We got plenty of food. <laughs>